Welcome to Two Takes on a Pod. My name is Osai, and on this podcast, I take on themes exploring culture, society, and humanity from the perspectives of Africans home and abroad. Okay, real quick, before we get started, um, I have a special announcement. And that announcement is, the podcast will be going on a break for a few months. So, before I get into that, um, thanks so much for listening, guys. Um, this past few months have been great. I've appreciated the support. For, and for those of you who have been listening for the past few years, um, thanks for coming through and staying along with me. I'm looking forward to carrying you guys forward when I get back on. But why am I taking a break? Well, you know, the truth is um, I want to work on other things. Um, personally, my own personal life, I think uh, there are a few things that uh, need more attention, um, whether it's my career um, or, you know, other, I guess, significant things that I don't want to talk about right now. <laughs> but everything's okay. I'm great. I'm happy. Um, I'm grateful. And uh, I also want to take some time to relax and enjoy myself, especially with the summer coming up. So, um, yeah, that's that's one of the major reasons. So, you know, I'm trying to be outside this summer. And uh, if you have anything going on, if you have any big events, plans, anything that pertains to what might be interesting to talk about on this podcast, you know, give me a shout. And uh, I'll be excited to check it out. And, of course, I'll be working on the podcast. I'm always working on the podcast, whether I like it or not. So that's going to be happening. Um, I'll make some little and maybe big changes. Um, so keep an eye out, stay subscribed and watch the page. Um, you never know when uh, I might drop something to let you know what's coming up next. On that podcast tip, um, I think to give you guys better content, I will need your feedback. You can give me your feedback on whatever episode has stood out to you, whether it was good, bad, or ugly, whether it was interesting or boring, it was too serious or a little too jokey, you know, maybe there weren't enough references or there were way too many references. You know, it was too long or too short. I get a lot of those. Um, anything, it would be really useful and it would probably provide a better listening experience for you and other listeners. So I definitely want to hear it. As usual, you can leave all that great feedback on Apple Podcasts. Of course, give me the five-star rating. You know what it is. Um, but you are better off giving me those details in writing. Um, and you can write to me at 2 pod at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a DM at Two Takes and a Pod on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok. And if you don't remember an episode, that's fine. You can simply go to my Instagram page and scroll through. I'll also update the TikTok page at some point, so you'll be able to see everything as well. But on Instagram, you can listen to it in chronological order, which is probably more ideal. Um, there are at least a few clips for every episode, so you should be able to pull references somewhat easily. And of course, if it's not there or you're not finding the excerpt you want or the example you want, you can just go to your platform of choice and, you know, listen there and give me some feedback. This will be really helpful for the next iteration of the show. And um, any feedback is good feedback at this point. Um, if you need me to make it a little bit more comprehensive by putting out a form there or putting a post somewhere so that you can give me the, you know, you can rate it and, and kind of engage, let me know and I'll definitely go for that. Um, but for now... Thank you guys so much for listening. Back to the show. On this episode, Ilala Ajibola of YunosabiNaij.com joins the podcast. Um, he joins us to talk about his piece on Fumilayo Ransome Kuti or Ransom Kuti. I'm not always sure whether it's Ransome or Ransom. We start with her background and the fact that she's a descendant of slaves that returned from Brazil. Um, that turns out to be interesting and we get into that a little bit on the episode. 
Then we jump into how that positioned her for a good education, which later led her to not only become a teacher, but also start a literary club for women in her hometown of Abiyokuta. Um, that leadership and activism led her to fight against unjust taxes and other tools of the colonial government. And it's through this that she received national acclaim and became one of the national leaders representing Nigeria in England and around the world. We end on her family and legacy and the impact she had on Nigeria. Her story is one that should be told more often, and this here is just a necessary first step. Tell a friend to tell a friend. But for now, enjoy the show. Let me see what I could do right quick. My people were made in who's like this. Boy, fly niggas ain't never flew like this. Pitch black butterfly from the other side. Somebody's style was lost, it wasn't mine. I'm in a small demographic of real ones dealing with all things classic. King's fabric, linen and silk. From the home of the solid gold, honey and milk. The ones who built it from the mud, soil and sand. A black man, the world in the skin of his hand. Pop della sock when I shine beyond Stella. Fella, Kwame and Crummer, Mandela, leader, truth teller. The ink well dweller. My pen signs in New York Times bestseller. When I move, y'all move in my wake. BD energy, I generate. How to never move weak, I demonstrate. Celebrating my peeps when I innovate. For my dons and divas, weighing odds and evens to the number. Believers, vagabonds and heathens, achievers We ain't satisfied with dreaming Long as I'm still breathing, watch how I move, move. The whole world Yeah, do you think, uh, again, how I stumbled into FRK's life was I was just investigating Like, uh, when I was looking for initial material to put on, you know, Sabi Naja I, uh found some information about Nigerians who actually fought in uh, World War II. A bunch of West African countries, actually, but right. just the Nigerians in particular, I thought that was kind of crazy just because, you know, um, this part of the world where you and I live, Remembrance Day is such a huge thing. Especially <clears throat> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. for World War II. <clears throat> but it's kind of crazy that Nigeria... Nigeria fought with the Allies, and we were actually a crucial part, actually, because we were able to fight in the jungles of uh, Burma. Yeah. Um. So, which you know, the no offense to the Caucasians, but you know, they were just a bit less suited for the jungle warf- warfare. Right. Right. He admitted this. Like, this is these. Those are my. That's not my opinion. That's literally the opinion of the white commanders. Who, right. Uh, yeah, well, we Commander definitely used us to fight. In, you know, I guess in the, I guess sub-Saharan and I guess yeah. in Asia as well, right? And uh, I think even like Iran, see, I think that was part of his claim to fame. You yeah, know, and fighting in those in those wars and like, I guess, and earning some sort of honor there. Um, that's that's interesting. So so, um, it's funny how they didn't credit the countries; they just credited yeah. Africa as yeah. a whole. They just blanketed Nigeria Africa. Was supplying money. Like literally, uh, Namdi Azikwe did a few uh, donation drives through his West African pilot. Um, we supported them in food. We gave a lot of food because then yeah. the British determined the prices, <clears throat> and that was kind of how I heard about um, FRK just during the post-war period and the struggles for food. Right. Uh, 
Um, you know, I'm just reading about this lady who uh, special thanks to Judith Byfield and uh Cheryl Johnson Arden and uh Emma Umba. So they were the people who wrote the original or most of the original source material I uh about FRK's life. Right. Uh, at least one of them actually did it while she was alive. So they actually spoke with her. So it's not um it's a bit more um valid. Interesting. Like in her autobiography for women and the nation, she was it was released after she died, but it was uh, she was alive while they were writing it. Like when they started writing it. Right. Um, so it's actually interesting. Um, at the end of the article, you write, this article is dedicated to the spirit of African motherhood, which is interesting. My goal in writing this article is to celebrate FRK and generate further interest in her life beyond her driving a car. It also aims to challenge the status quo that is the marginalization of women in Nigeria. Special thanks to Judith A. Byfield, Cheryl Johnson, Odim, and Nina Emma Umba, and the other authors for all the primary research and writing which made these articles possible. Um, Johnson, Odim, and Umba are responsible for writing FRK's biography. So this is what you're talking about, where they were able to interview her in real time mm-hmm. um, for Women and the Nation in 1997. So that means that's quite a while, because didn't she pass yeah, away in like she the passed 80s? away in the 70s. Yeah, so that's... Mm-hmm. That's over, that's 20 years. Yeah. So, you know, just uh, two things, you know, just from even your uh, progress or your process with uh, two takes and a pod, you could imagine how challenging it would be to write a book in the 90s. I mean, they actually have a, they dedicate like a solid chapter to just talking about that just because one of them lived in Nigeria, the other person lived in the States. So they actually wrote it over like five years, just traveling oh, wow. back and forth. So like I said, I, I can't give them enough credit. <clears throat> uh, FRK is uh, like for, again, from what I, what I learned, she's mm-hmm. just a character that shouldn't be ignored as far as Nigerian history is concerned. Like everyone should learn about her because the primary reason I'd say is because she was a patriot through and through, like uh, no matter what you might say about her feminist feminism activities or her women's rights activist activism. Um, she yeah, actually- how can you even, how can you even say anything about that? You know I mean? I think, um, you know, at least from my little understanding, right? Like, there are people who, who were like her before, and I've talked about it on this podcast before, right? a previous episode called Nigerian Consciousness. And like, we're talking about Pelewura and um, I can't remember the other lady's name that was in the um, Abba riots. And, um, you know, again, same issue, sole native authority, right? Like being a person that's applying pressure. And um, for those who, who don't know, the context for this and the reason why women are extremely important in Nigeria's history and I think identities because... Um, the women were being um, taxed. So in the First World War, which was like, what, 1914 to 1980 or something like that, mm-hmm. there was a depression after that as a result of that war, right? That's actually when those about riots, right around that time when it happened, right? Yep. Then there was another one in 1929. I think that was Pelewura, right? Or 1930s or something along those lines. And then there's now Pumulai um, Ransom Akuti. And it was they, you know, what kind of kept happening in these cases where these, um, you know, I guess what do we call market women who 
I think we would both are, agree that they were entrepreneurs, right? And they were, you know, a huge part of the economy. We're being taxed because the British government saw that this is literally the most effective way to extract money the way we like. And this was working in the North because the sole native authorities there were the Emirs, and the Emirs were not only the political leaders, but also um, um, religious leaders as well. So, like, I feel like that trend keeps happening and keeps showing up. So when she's doing doing this and speaking up for women who are being unfairly taxed, and the reason why I would, I would, you know, suggest, and please keep me honest here, is that, like, you're being taxed, but they had no say in government, you know? It's not like, okay, well, you know, your vote counts, so you're, you know, you're, you're being taxed for that. Now, they were treated as property in the sense that, like, if you had, you were a man with multiple wives, then you know, because of the number of wives you have, then you have probably some certain level or esteem in society. But the women didn't necessarily have any say in that. And a lot of that, according to her, showed up when the British came. Um, so, uh, you know, just to your point, um, 100%, uh, that's part of the... That's part of FRK's legacy is actually during her uh, one of her visits to the UK, she did an interview where she actually articulated how the position of the Nigerian woman had uh, been devalued right. since the onset of uh, colonialism. What makes the case of Abel Kota kind of unique is that in the whole of the what would be considered the Nigerian territory at the time, it was only the women of Abelkuta who were actually being taxed. Really? Yeah, in the whole of Nigeria. They did not realize that. They were the first to be taxed. And it's because they have always been financially independent. Like, this is age old. So before uh, colonialism... Um, the way the Yoruba or the Egba, which is what uh, Abelka, people of Abelkota, um, that's their Yoruba dialect. Right. Another interesting thing I found out is most Yorubas weren't even known as Yorubas <laughs> up until colonialists came. Because, like, you know, like I grew up in Lagos where, you know, they speak Yoruba, but Lagos is actually Eko, and the right. dialect where they speak in Eko is different from the dialect of Yoruba they speak in Abelkuta, which is only a few kilometers away, and that's different from AKT. That's different from. So, if anything, the, the British just put Yorubas on anyone whose language sounded similar. Right. I imagine it was for the best, and it was for easier uh, administration. And and the Yoruba Yoruba is from like the Oyo Empire, right? Which spans yeah. not so, just yeah. Nigeria, it goes into Benin Republic yeah, as well. Republic. And like, like yeah, yeah. And like some Senegal. <clears throat> right, right. So the Oyo Empire was the primary oppressor before um, <laughs> you know we have to call it what it is. These these are real conversations. This is fair. This is no, nah, this is no this to you know, move forward. The Oya Empire was a very brutal regime. They captured like countless slaves. They oppressed everyone around them. Part of the reason the people who settled in Abelkota did so is because they had some protection from the actual Ulumarok. Uh, that was literally it was a strategic 
settlement, more or less. Interesting. Where and you're fleeing the Oyo Empire, and because um, <clears throat> the Oyo Empire was just famous for coming down with raids. Obviously, not just them. The Benin Empire was also another brutal one. The Fulani Empire was also another brutal one. <clears throat> I mean, Benin Empire, it seemed, like we, it seemed like we were, I'm, I'm Benin for those who might not know. <laughs> so they were just doing their thing and then everything, you know, I, I, were they active in slave trade as well? Yeah, definitely. Like, they're not, not, I guess it was active, hard to avoid that at that point. Not right? too active, but there were definitely a lot of ritual uh, sacrifice, a lot of uh, people burying, being buried with kings or people of importance for slavery. Okay, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, that, I, I wouldn't say that's normal, but that's pretty So, standard, I just mean, yeah, yeah. So, just not, nothing you wouldn't have heard of. Just more, um, these were the things, like, because you have to imagine <clears throat> how uh, colonialism um, got marketed to the British people, right? Uh, these were the things they would have said, like, these guys, right. savages. Right, right, guys, right. They, they don't to have rights. We need to tame yeah. them, that kind of thing. So, one, one thing that I thought was interesting, though, right? Like, from I read from your article, is that, you know, like, it's very, there's very, it's, you know, it's known. I can't remember what kind of sector it is. I think there's parts in Badagri, but there, um, there are different aspect, uh, areas of, I guess, in, in Yoruba land, not just, in, I think in Lagos, but I didn't realize in Abiyokuta as well, where um, slave descendants who, who were from that area. That got sold and we most likely most uh, mostly in Brazil came back through Syria alone and eventually came back home and settled in different areas. And it, it turns out that um, Fumlayo Ransomakuti, her family was uh, one of those descendants. Like sure. I can't remember exactly what quote you had in the article, but it definitely pointed to that, right? Well, that's true. They were called the uh, Saros, and um, the yeah, they definitely were ex-slaves that right. Uh, resettled back in Nigeria at the time. <clears throat> so, you know, even as much as the British um, participated in slavery, you know, so did every, almost every country. At the every time. European country participated in slavery. Yeah. I think... Um, so it's just, yeah. you know, the slavery conversation is more, um, the narrative is based around what happened in the States. Right. But in Nigeria, it was 100% Nigerians that sold, not just sold, but sought out villages, killed everyone. Right. I mean, it wasn't captured. just, and yeah, and to your point, so, it was in Nigeria. I think it became a thing of, I, I think it was just a part of colonialism before colonialism was officially, you know, colonies, setting up colonies. There are a lot of, like, if you if you read um, Barracuda, um, Zoa Neil Hurston, if you read her, she does a bunch of interviews with slave descendants, right? Mm-hmm. I, I hope I'm not butchering that, right? But I think so, so Neil Hurston. But anyway, she um she interviews a bunch of slave descendants, right? And a lot of them are that they're talking about these experiences, but it's from all over Africa. Oh no, know? no, I'm not that's what I'm saying. Like slavery was a worldwide right, right. But it's just like the it, it's the so funny trans, that you say the that Atlantic slave trade in particular. Right. Mm-hmm. which had a lot of uh, slaves come from Nigeria and West Africa. Right. I'm saying uh, it was a well-defended institution, probably one of the strongest institutions ever to come out of Africa. Yeah, this, that's, that's yeah. In the yeah. sense that mm-hmm. the... So another funny or another uh, interesting tidbit I came across as I was uh, doing the research for this paper was 
you know the person everyone knows as Ajay Crowder. Mm-hmm. Uh, was Bishop Ajay Crowder, right? Bishop Ajay Crowder. I think he was the first black reverend or something yeah, like that. Yep, exactly. For as far as I knew, his claim to fame was uh, writing the or converting the Holy Bible into Yoruba. But what you don't actually hear about this guy is that he actually was captured into slavery twice. Once by the Fulani and once by his a fellow Yoruba man, a guy from Ijebu. <clears throat> so one time they actually sold him to a horse, uh, sold him for a horse or exchanged him for a horse. But just uh, what you were saying earlier about Syria alone. Um, so what would happen at the time is uh, the British, after they banned slavery, one can, we could go into their motives for doing that on another episode. Yeah, yeah. But they did ban it and they enforced the ban through a naval um, group of ships called the Anti-Slavery Squadron. Um, so these guys will literally go on the Atlantic, find slave ships, attack them, and free the slaves and take them back to Africa. When the slavery squad, anti-slavery squadron will give the slaves back to the kings, the kings will just turn around and sell them again. And it became so rampant that people will literally um, capture slaves and just put them into the king's cage because that increased their value. So the, the person who actually uh, recommended that they bomb Lagos was Ajay Garda. And like, because there was a whole bombing of Lagos where right. we actually fought valiantly for slavery or <laughs> to continue slavery. was a descendant from some of these slaves that returned back to Yoruba land. I thought that was very interesting. Um, so I mean, let's start. Let's let's get into her background, right? Um, what were some of the interesting things that you found, you know, stood out in um, FRK's early years? Um, I don't think uh, nothing crazy stood out. She was the, you know, first female to actually go to secondary school in Nigeria. So that kind of shows her parents were somewhat progressive. Right. And probably financially well off too, right? Because um, it seemed like a lot of the, you know, I guess the people who returned, slaves who returned, um, they, they were able to set up and establish, you know, I guess a community and schools. I believe that school wasn't really set up by the British. It was set up by either um, the returned slaves or uh, missionaries. I'm not sure which one. It yeah, is. you're right. So no schools were set up by the British for about 50 years. Until like King's College, right? Or something yeah, along those lines. Colonials and it was all missionaries and ex or local freed slaves who had returned and <clears throat> just wanted somewhere to learn. Right. So in the case of uh, FRK, she went to a Belkata Grammar School. And um, <clears throat> it was an all-boys school at first, but um, they started uh, accepting girls in, uh, I want to say, 1914. And um, she enrolled 
And from there, she went on to uh, prep school in the UK. <clears throat> and I think this is where her, uh, she would have, started to become somewhat radicalized because during this time she dropped all her English names and uh, started basically wearing only your bad attire 24-7. I wonder why, yeah? Like, yeah, so that was that super reason, interesting to me that, that she went a, abroad yeah. and then decided that she was going to double down on her, you know, her native name, which yeah. I think a lot of us feel when we come out here. But, yeah, no doubt. Um, like I, I, that was, I just thought that was super interesting. Right, it must have been her, he, hearing her name or trying to identify her name with their name, and must have not sat well with her. Just the same yeah. way, it doesn't sit well with us. Yeah, at least her for some name of us. Yeah, uh, Francis and Abigail, and I guess right. you know it'd be different when you. Uh, I can't honestly speak to that. There isn't too much context on her time in the UK. She right. Like, I know. Right. She sees mm-hmm. like the family she stayed with were more or less uh, nice to her. Um, but I'm just saying in general, though. Right, because it seems like she came back her, and yeah. doubled down her on her identity. Yeah. Right, like which I think is very interesting. It is interesting, and. You know, just like to your earlier point, where she would have been in a position of a lot of privilege and she comes back to Nigeria and rather than insulate herself uh, within that privilege, because the first thing she did is she she was a teacher uh, in Ejebode <clears throat> where she married uh, Reverend, Reverend Israel Udotun Ransom Kuti, her husband. Mm. Um, so, but it wasn't until they moved to, back to, so they, there they had a few of their children. Um, but um, they moved back to Abelkota, and it was in Abelkota she kind of started her activism. And I think, again, these, these this is based on the stuff I read, is it was just more recognizing a great need for it where most of the women she would talk to <clears throat> she like there's an example she gave where she went to church and the lady beside her was holding the hymn book upside down because she, she couldn't read yeah. so that's actually how it started was frk started these night classes just to help women um, learn how to read and write. Right. She, uh, she called it the Abiyokuta Ladies Club, an organization yeah. dedicated to involving market women in literacy programs. A yep. stated aim of the organization was to help in raising the standard of womanhood in Abiyokuta, to help in encouraging yep. learning and thereby wipe out illiteracy. So I think this is from, these are quotes from, um, you know, Sabi Knight, by the way. So, um, you know, if you want to actually hear some of the quotes that she said, um, um, and I think the third article, um, Lola has, you know, conveniently placed a lot of these things there. Just, I mean, read the article itself and you find that. So, um, so she starts off with this literacy clubs, right? Um, or a bigger to ladies club and she's teaching the literacy. Um, how does that evolve into significant activism on her part? So you can imagine, uh, 
most of these women she's talking to are quote unquote market women. They're considered poor, or at least from a lower income bracket. But as time will go on, they will come to trust FRK, right? Because FRK spoke in Yoruba to them. She spoke their language. She dressed like them. She literally said she was wearing her Iran Buba, which is the traditional Yoruba dress that she was wearing that so the women would know and feel that she was one of them, right? Right. <laughs> so you could imagine if this goes on for a while, these women start to trust FRK, then they just start venting. Right. Uh, you know, they're venting about the colonial administ- administration in Abelkata. They're venting about the Alake, which is the native authority in Abelkata. And he basically had his own police because that's what the native authority policemen were, were his more or less private militia. And how the police working for the Sunni authority, working for the British colonial government. Yep. And um, so, you know, it will be anything from seizing of rice where they will just take literally your produce and not pay for it to women who yeah so i I, I was a little confused i was i was a little confused about that by the way like to just help me explain that so one of the things you talk about is that um um during the war the second world war because of uh you know what was going on they found a way that they were looking for ways to tax tax people and they increased taxes i think in general but they also increased taxes on women and one of the things was if you were buying a highly uh, high demand product or or produce, you mm-hmm. had to buy some low demand produce as well. Yeah. And then if you if you were able to sell or buy above a certain quarter, I can't remember exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, they would come and basically seize your goods. Can you yeah. just explain what like am I like was that wrong? Like I mean like is that the, so, is that what happened? Because it literally doesn't make sense to me. I, I yeah, genuinely don't it understand. Did, it didn't make sense. Like every all the laws, the more you do your research, they were just passed over and over against the interests of Nigeria. Nigeria was the main export of cocoa to Germany, and cocoa was the biggest buyer of of Nigeria and cocoa before the World War. But immediately the war started because we were sided with the British. The British stopped that. So that's yeah. The British banned all sale all German goods. Oh, uh, basically blockaded all. Um, so, so some of these goods that we were so, sorry to cut you off. So, some yep. of these goods that we were selling, some of that, some of the policies they implemented were because some of that must have been going to, I guess, the enemy. Yeah, and as a result the, of that, even though there there was a demand and and all of those kind of yep. things, we're now put where we will now have either surplus or. Yeah. For whatever reason, we can't move certain goods. Yeah, actually, it was it became a shortage because what happened was they ran out of space to store the cocoa, so that it devalued it even further. And I see. People, so literally, people just abandoned their cocoa farms. So, wow. but because the army was based out of Lagos, <clears throat> that created more demand for rice. So they started. Uh, uh, so they put a quota on the rice where they said each village must come up with this much rice so that this was the colonial administration that did that so when they do when they 
when there's this quota for rice and the ballers are given the authority to enforce it, they already so the British administration is already setting the price for rice. But the Alake had a friend, um, one Mr. Shodipo. Shodipo and Associates. Yeah, Shodipo and Co. That was fun. <laughs> and yeah, he uh, was, was responsible. No, no, no. <laughs> he, he was responsible for uh, basically. Um, so because the Alake had access to all the police, the police would literally seize rice from women just walking with their products and go give it to this guy and pocket all the money. You know what I mean? And in that situation, there's just no advocate for the women. And right. yet they're paying taxes. Increased taxes. Yeah, they're now increased taxes. taxes. I think there was there's, this under, there was this perception more... from the British government. I think you wrote that. Um, yeah, that, like they they, that they were rich or they were making a sure. lot of money. from. And it's true. Products. They have been. Like I said, the women of Abelkuta have been industrious from time like the more you read about their history it's not like colonialism actually kind of put them in the back seat but before that they were on equal ground with men as far as entrepreneurship as far as social um standing the men were the oboni the women were the ialodis but they all had a say in the laws that in like legislation in the in the in Abelkuta. Um, so, <clears throat> but as far as, uh, so what was your earlier question? Um, I was just really asking about, uh, I, I think you kind of already answered it. We're just talking about the taxing of the women and like, um, you know, without effective representation and, yeah. and basically what that cost and why that was happening. So I think my question was trying to understand why are they charging in such a like in a, such an obscene way. So you already broken down that like one, yes, we had the second world, world war happening too, because some of the products that were in demand before were no longer in demand and it changed in, I guess, in demand for some of our, our produces or our produce that changed things. Right. And then apart from the taxing, it seems like the Alake was also corrupt and was exploiting the situation with his, you know, his power. So it seems like, you know, now at this time, uh, Fumidari Rasamakuti is already actively running the Abiyokuta Ladies Club. And because of these things that are happening and that she's getting involved in, she essentially starts speaking up from the woman and basically working against the Alake. Now, the, 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 the advantage that she had here is that she was a woman from a certain class in society. Um, she was married to a man who was in a certain class in society. So she had the position, the um, and I guess the leadership skills to really speak on behalf of the women and represent the women. Um, what was your perspective, like at least from what you read, um, on how she dealt with the Alake, right? It, it seemed like, he, apart from the fact that he was afraid of her, he it seemed like to have also revered her. And even though the relationship, you know, they probably didn't have a good relationship because she was calling him out and kind of insulting him or getting women to insult him um what's your understanding of of what went on there so as far as i understand like uh, that's the one part where uh, frk solidarity with women is unmatched so the best source material to read more about that would be 
Ake, Years of Childhood, written by Wally Shuenka. Because Wally Shuenka was also FRK's nephew, and he's older than all her kids, so he got to see her in a different light, I guess. Right, like her <laughs> active. Right. Yeah, her activism. Right. But the way he describes it is... is um, she's charismatic or she was charismatic she was eloquent so she was a great speaker and people followed her like she always had crowds of women with her like when i say crowds i do mean crowds of hundreds of women at each um event wow so it's wow. like i said i think it just got to a stage where this these women just completely trusted her and they just knew she wasn't in it for herself. Like there was right. no, there was no uh, back, there was no backhand doing. Right. She was a true leader, and I think for and for, there was no, there was no, there was just no self. Yes, she might have her herself became more famous and um, gained no, no notoriety for you know her leadership, but there was no direct benefit of her actions to her or her family. Right, I I think I think it's it's clear because like, and she you know, obviously wasn't selling rice in the market, so it, it wasn't. She was literally carrying someone else's problem. Right, so she was a teacher, if you remember. She was a she was a true leader, right? Like yeah, I think so, you can see that, like, because you know, a lot of times it seemed like teachers were because of you know the fact that they were educated and elite and literate, and can, they were able to find political positions. Some, some credit for uh, putting her life on the line. Because again, in in Walishinka's book, there are a few instances of them trying to jazz her. You know what I mean? And a number of times they actually tried to jazz her. Like they sent there was one there was one um episode where uh, in front of her house they found a naked woman carrying a sacrifice, and this naked woman they she got caught. This is at night, so she got caught. And they asked her who sent you, and she didn't say a word. <clears throat> but the theory was that you know she had an on an invisible cloak, which um like which made her invisible to everyone, and she walked up until where FRK. But when she got to FRK, the invisibility thing or whatever broke. So, uh, but didn't other people see her before that? So other people saw her, but that's what makes it so crazy. It's like, why is this lady walking around naked at night? And then when they get you, you can't say who sent you or where you're going. So that's what made people even think. Because they hit her a few times, like they slapped her. She still didn't say a word, which they just speculated was even more jazz. Right. But you can imagine that episode. There's another episode where uh, FRK confronted the male... Let's call it Deity in the center of town. I mean, the masquerade? Yeah, and took his uh, staff, something that was exclusively for men. So she just became this kind of godlike figure where larger than life, um, fearless, and you can, a legend, like you literally will believe she's untouchable. You know what I mean? So this is what gave the women um, confidence. you know, to go behind her. Right. Where if FRK is with us, no one can be against us. Which, at least the women of Abel Kota, 
there was that there was that sentiment for sure. Interesting. Interesting. So um, you know, beyond that, she actually was able to get the um, you know, after the fight and then after months of protesting, or maybe almost like eight to nine months of protesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you know, and, and again, this is all in the article, they introduced interesting tactics to um call him out. The masquerade thing that you're talking about was like when they basically tried to use that to get women not to be out, right? They apparently when the masquerade, this male deity comes on on the scene, women are not supposed to be on the streets. They're supposed to be hiding and things like that. And um, like to your point, um, Fumlayo um, Kuti essentially went, took his staff and put it in a house. Mm-hmm. And just, so just that kind of that kind of balls, right? Right, unprecedented. And, right, and then obviously nothing happens to her. Nothing and they continue happens. to protest, right? Mm-hmm. So eventually, um, you know, they force the Alake to vacate his, I um, mean, I guess his position or his place as the sole native authority. But unfortunately, this happens for a year, and then the British colonial government essentially found a way to put him back. Right? Um, were they able to get rid of him again after that, or that's just kind of how it stood after? No. As far as I know, he was a lucky until he died. Right. But, you know, I guess he, you know, he probably just knew not to mess with the women at that point. Was um, I don't think, if anything, I think, because uh, if you look at the results, it was successful in the sense that they stood up for themselves. Right. And he had to vacate his, his, his laws were crown, temporary, right? which, is, which is significant, right? You know, that's something that would be really hard to pull up today. Yeah, for sure. But, you know. Uh, yeah, that's why I say like it was successful and also unsuccessful because most of the um, laws that got passed were only temporary. And, you know, even the Alake rescinding his stone, he got reinstated, even though FRK protested it, he got reinstated a year later. So you can imagine you basically protest something for four years for there to be a change for a few months. You know what right. I mean? Right. So I can imagine that was uh, frustrating. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they did win because he did abdicate. Like he right. Left. right. He had to leave. Like that's that's a huge win. You know. I mean, I yeah, think it's, a, it's, a it's not. Win. It's obviously it's not enough when he returns, but it, it's a huge win because it 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 sends the message that we can force anybody in power out out, and you know, obviously that that the women's voice does matter and does have impact. And you know can change, make change happen. So definitely a huge win on that front. Um, one of the things that you um, also talk about there was, um, and, and and this I'm also a little bit aware of that she was part of the group of people who were supposed to head out there, head out to Europe and represent the country in terms of making an argument for independence, I believe. And um, and I believe initially they were going to have Pelewura, but Pelewura was too sick. Mm-hmm. or too old or something along those lines so um sure. uh, <laughs> essentially went in her place is that is am i correct or is that is that accurate um, okay she, i don't think it was to protest independence i think it was about the there was a constitution that got ratified at the time yes the richard's constitution i believe right yeah, i think the richard's constitution concerns about it right we tried to just go uh put that uh, present that to parliament <clears throat> but it didn't really work out right and I, I talk i mean i talk about the richard's constitution again in a previous episode it's called on, on nigerian consciousness 
You can go check that out. Shameless plug, I know, but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so they went out there and um, she does this, you know, I guess, I guess what are they there for and why is it not, not successful? I guess is the question I, I'm trying to ask. So they're there to actually uh, present the um, shortcomings of the Richards Constitution. But the timing was off. Uh, while they, when they got there, Parliament was mostly in a recess. So they couldn't actually meet with Parliament. But um, FRK, to her credit, had a lot of a political pull with politicians in the UK. So she just went about um, trying to leverage that. She gave a few interviews. Uh, and that's when she actually wrote that um, article about the marginalization of uh, Nigerian women under colonialism. She wrote it for the um, British Communist Party's newspaper at the time. Um, yeah, so the, the name of this article, um, so Africa published, this is again from um, your piece here. Um, FRK published an article titled, We Had Equality Till Britain Came, um, on the Daily Worker on August 18, 1947. So this must have been in the thick of the fight against um, the Alake, which is interesting. <laughs> she took time out of her busy schedule <laughs> to fight the UK to call them out. Um, in the article, she drew attention to the rights and privileges women had lost since the onset of colonialism in Nigeria and requested the help of British women in the emancipation of Nigerian women. In the article, FRK wrote, Before the British advent in Nigeria, there was a division of labor between men and women. Women owned property, traded, and exercised considerable political and social influence in society. With the advent of British rule, instead of the woman being educated and assisted, their condition has deteriorated. Which is interesting because I think a lot of Nigerians. That's what I mean by think a, that. she's such a great speaker, right? Like right. I very well said. <laughs> yeah. Very well said. Very well said. So, uh, and in that situation, she was like a lot of the elite in Lagos actually discredited her for um, writing the article. Right. Obviously, including the Alake, but the women, <clears throat> the Abelkota Women's Union showed support. They gave her a big welcome when she got back uh, from, right. the, from her trip. Um, but if anything, uh, I feel like uh, the reason, uh, back to the NCNC delegation, um, FRK's primary critique of that event was that it was a one I knew, I knew you were going to talk about this. <laughs> no, no, I'm just... No, I'm no, just go calling. for it, go for it. This is... This I'm bringing is it up because it kind of... Uh, alludes to FRK's self-perception where because it's still 1947 like it's a long time right right I mean um, I, I have what, a quote I have a quote from 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 what you said because I knew that <laughs> I knew that you were I don't know what it would, it would be like for so the she Af said Azikiwe she said she said Azikiwe never liked to receive suggestions from any other member of the delegation and whenever an opinion was expressed by another member which might be contrary to his he will charge that member with an attempt to usurp his position as the leader. <laughs> the member of the home front, the members of the home front will be sorry to know that the draft memorandum and constitution 
that was sent to the Secretary of State were drafted and signed by Dr. Azikiwe alone and was therefore termed and commonly referred to as one man's constitution. Is that part of the what you were talking about? No, no, no. That is exactly what I was talking about. Thank right. You. That is in October 17th. But when I say it speaks to FRK's self-perception, I just mean you have to imagine how the average woman back then would have looked at herself. But this is literally Namdi Azikwe she's talking about. Right. Like, with him. This, is right, this is right before, right around the passing away of um, um, uh, Herbert Macaulay, right? So, you know, Azikiwe is really in prime position here, um, which is interesting. But it's still... Uh, so FRK was one of the um, primary members of the NCNC right. as well. She was right. also... One, she also but it was him and Herbert Macaulay that started it, right? No, so no, no. This is it. It was, it was 100%... So uh, this was this was like you know she was definitely calling her boss out in public. Um, in, uh, I don't think I don't think FRK perceived not her boss, but like you know. No, no, no. I I'm just saying again when I say perception, I mean she's obviously not. She's obviously um a smart lady. Like she's an intelligent woman, so she could you she'll be able to gauge intelligence by the same measure, right? Right. That's why or I integrity. Say, or integrity, and you know, right. obviously, Azikwe fell short. Um, which is, again, like I said, it just speaks to FRK's character and self-perception in the sense that you you hear of very few women who could um, talk about any Nigerian founding father like Ikali. Some things that like um, um, she had to deal with, right? You know, and this is around the independence period and post-independence period. Um, you know, apparently she went on a trip to China, and this was the time where I think Mao was in charge. And um, she talks about how they were pushing women literacy programs there. Now, this also got her to be accused as a communist for multiple other reasons. But what do you know about that period and that trip that she made to China? And how do you think that might have influenced her from what you read? Um, so as far as I remember, she was actually uh, invited. Yeah, so she was connected to the Women's International Democratic Federation. <clears throat> and uh, that was actually... a. Uh, admittedly a communist organization. But FRK never identified as a communist herself, or she was never a member of the Communist Party. Um, she was just always looking for a positive um, input into the liberation of her fellow people. So she didn't really um, care where the input came from which is why she was willing to go to China and other communist countries um, <clears throat> just to try and learn how they're doing it. And, you know, even though China was communist at the time, they were still educating women at rates unheard of in other parts of the world. So <clears throat> right. that's, that's commendable. And uh, she was just saying how uh, when she, she was uh, commenting about how, and, you know, Mao, as far as I know, didn't, for all his shortcomings, uh, 
You're a lot. He still met with her. She had only good things to say about him. And right. It's just uh, crazy to imagine she met him when probably no Nigerian dude had. Right. Um, it's a lot of, I don't know, it just still tells me balls. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it, it's because it's, it's, it's still China, it's still a different place, and you're going there in a row and booba. Yeah. Right, like, and it's literally on the other side of the world, right? China like, it's, right now, I probably wear my dopest Jordans just so I can, <laughs> right? Cool. Right, Not like a uh, traditional, you know, what right? I mean? Right, I mean, I mean, you know, I think, uh, just from the stuff from the work that we've done, you know, over the past couple year or plus now, I think we would probably go double down in, you know, in, in <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to Jordans, even though we do like our Jordans, you know, I'll definitely yeah. say that. Um, so you know what's funny is like I found a quote that you had from this, and and I want to keep using this to help get the feel. That's the point. People who are listening to get a feel. Um, um, yeah, that help you get a feel of what what um what she was like and what she was thinking. So this is what she said, reflecting on her trip to communist China. If we could read and write in our own language, half our battle is won. When we visited a Chinese woman's adult educational class. We were greatly impressed by the women's zeal. They were so absorbed in their lesson that they hardly took their eyes from their books. Every one of them was keen because they wanted to equip themselves with the weapon of liberty. There was to be a total eradication of illiteracy in their country within five years after the liberation, and no woman wanted to be left behind. We Nigerian women should be ready to emulate them and set to work vigorously. Our women should be ready to learn and make a good use of the knowledge imparted on them. So that's interesting. That's interesting. Part of the thing she talks about, she says, all our big men and women now travel to China and Russia. I suffered for their freedoms in the sense that I think, you know, maybe in later on that became a little bit more accepted. Um, I think when she says she suffered, she means like she was never able to travel freely. Like uh, for a while, the Nigerians, um, Tafa Balewa's government revoked her passport, right? Um, even though she did try to renew that over and over, and, right? Um, but 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 obviously she was able to make it to China, right? So but no, but like, I'm saying when she got lots. back, when she got so, back, they actually mm-hmm. revoked her passport. So it's just stuff like that that will make her interesting. And suffering for the freedoms, she was never allowed to visit the state. Like she was never granted a U.S. visa, even though right. she was she was invited by numerous organizations there to come and talk. Interesting. And it was because at the time it was, <clears throat> it was during the time of the Red Scare in the states, so um, obviously a lot of anti-communist sentiment, and that was those were the grounds for. Um, them denying her visa was her affiliation with that women's international. So was was it the visa, or also was it the you know Tafar Balowa basically well, revoking her passport? The visa was um the U.S. government um alone, but the passport being revoked was Tafar Balowa's government under the advice of whoever. Right, I guess one of the quote unquote allies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Um. So. Um, I think that kind of gives you an idea of that issue. Um, I mean, before we end uh, end here, I want to maybe talk about her relationship with her family and her kids. Um, you know, it seemed like the love she had for her husband. Um, I, I, don't, I can't remember his name. Was it Beko? Uh, no, that's oh, her, that's her, her son, kid. right? 
the first one. His name was Oludatun. Oludatun. So it seemed like the the relationship that they had together was very genuine. Um, seemed was very loving, and um, seemed like she was you know while she was able to do all this work, um, you know beyond our borders and within our borders, um, she was able to raise a family that was you know she was devoted to, and seemed to revere and be inspired by her actions. And what was your um, understanding of, I guess, her relationship with her family, especially Fela? Um, I agree with everything you said. I do think she was a uh, her all her all her kids remember both their parents as uh, strict disciplinarians. Um, Becca and uh, Dolupo, which was which were her two eldest kids, also helped. Um, during those uh, adult literacy classes, they also helped teach the women. Interesting, um, didn't know that. So just that kind of uh, um, environment for growing up in that kind of environment, you know, you just tend to be more uh, service oriented, which is why. And there's a quote in the in the article where Becca asks his dad for some guidance over what course to take. <clears throat> um, just so he could emulate both of them, like whatever they could do. In the in the quote, he says, uh, "Whatever I could do to serve my country, I just want to serve my country." You know, it's right. just a sentiment that's not really popular today. You know what I mean? Right, right. You know, just trying to study whatever they can to kind of uh, become billionaires. <laughs> Billionaires, billionaires, buzzword right but, now. Everybody's trying to. Be I, and when I say, you know, he did eventually become. He's recognized like so many awards, like so many awards. I can't even remember all of them, but recognized by the UN, um, he literally revolutionized the state of healthcare in rural Nigeria and places like Abeokuta. He actually brought attention to the state of infant mortality in Nigeria. He reduced that while he was a uh, head of uh, the health minister for a while as well. Right. He was right. also persecuted by uh, military governments. Um, so, like, when you look at the lives of all the children, <clears throat> there is no doubt that they were inspired by their parents, um, especially their mom. Um, just as far as how many of them went towards activism-oriented uh, or had activism. Um, who were just significant career. activists, right? Like, mm-hmm. and who had real impact. Like, like Becca, Becca literally fought for democracy in Nigeria. Like, you know, everyone, like democracy is something that's so taken for granted because, right. I mean, it's so corrupt in Nigeria, but he literally during military backed success. Yeah, he, he was, was a prisoner. He was a prisoner, right? I think during he the prisoner, they arrested him countless times. And the whole time he was literally f- fighting for a free and fair election. Something that we take for granted because, you know, they, it probably still hasn't come to pass in Nigeria. When you think of Fela, <clears throat> Fela is truly, um, you know, just because of how uh, potent his words are and eternal, you know. Right. I, but at the same time, I do think by all accounts of the other siblings he was their mom's favorite she never said that on record but you could definitely see that 
I mean, in hindsight, in hindsight, just because Fela went to the UK to study medicine and uh, she kind of, you know, when he decided to study music, um, she was all for it. Um, so I think in a way, but that's, so it's not, it's no secret that Fela's main um, revolutionary character evolved Absolutely. after his trip to evolved after his trip to the States where he uh, met uh, the Black Panthers and was exposed to Malcolm X, all that type of stuff. But I mean, you can imagine him learning all that stuff and putting it into context with what he might have witnessed when he was a child. And, you know, we have Fela of today. The one thing we can credit his mom with is his musical style because Fela at first used to do... His, at least according to him, his music was more influenced by jazz. Mm-hmm. And his mom literally told him, sing the music of your people. And he switched to more traditional music and became super successful. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. There, are a few, there are a few things about Fela I obviously found out doing this research. Um, so even... So that that would be my main, uh, um, I guess, feedback about her life with her family. Um, Fela remembers his mom always whooping his ass. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's literally, he said he actually liked her going for activism uh, meetings because then she wouldn't have time to whoop his ass. But she was, <laughs> his memory of her is her always whooping his ass. But um, you know, that's typical Nigerian discipline, right? Um, especially from a loving parent. Um, but uh, I imagine, case, I imagine Fela was a bad kid too. Yeah, nobody's, nobody's advocating for yeah. you know, <laughs> no one's advocating uh, you for know, it, you know, domestic violence, violence, anything like that. But, but I'm sure I'm the, saying, the, the role there those days was spare the road and spare the child, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it definitely worked because <laughs> no matter Fela's legacy. At least, in my opinion, the legacy Fela is most crazy for, apart from making the most political and important uh, topics danceable. Like, he can make literally anything that's important as hell. He can make it to a tune where you're dancing and nodding your head to. Fela's legacy for me personally is that each time the government came for him, either to beat him, to, uh, you know, sue him, whatever they did, he came back even madder, even insulting them even more. Like, so it's a kind of fearlessness that, you know, he you, you can't teach it. Right. It's in the blood. Apparently. It's in the blood. <laughs> like, it's you in know, the blood. If, if police whoops your ass today tomorrow you're supposed to put your head down and walk but for now we'll go to the police station and talk and to you like that's that's who he who he was right. so um i don't think uh, you can have that conversation without having a conversation about him you go um i mean let's talk about that right i think that also ties into um i guess um her death 
because uh, apparently there was an issue with again this is all from your article i didn't actually know this because I, I never really understood what exactly happened um so according to your article um and i guess maybe the books that you're referencing they talk about that one of his drivers or something had hit a army officer and um um the army came to his house to basically find who that driver was and fella did not agree to kind of release who the person was and as a result um they were pissed off you know i guess there was some commotion they left they came back with a full squadron and um basically uh messed up his house and they essentially you know um true for me uh, for me for me across uh, out of the window not just him the true beko as well um and and basically we're throwing people out of the window and then essentially she suffered a fracture and essentially never recovered after that mm-hmm. um again please keep me honest here what, what was your understanding of that situation um what exactly started it and um you know what ended up happening like after um my understanding is similar to what you're saying someone who lived in or who was staying in Fela's house because Kalakuta was a place that was kind of transient in nature like people from literally all over the world will stop by and leave so there's not too many uh, permanent residents even for Malaya Rasamkuti her primary residence was in Abelkuta she was just visiting Fela when this happened <clears throat> but uh interesting she uh so the, the story is a guy hit some army officers on a bike obviously they had had prior altercations that wasn't this would be the third time army actually showed up at calcutta at least that's on record they've been there a few times to cause havoc but in this case they came and they uh asked for the guy who hit so they had already whooped his ass a bit they had already whooped they had already beat this person who hit the officer and they so when he got to Kalakuta Fela was literally preparing to take him to the hospital at least this is Fela's account I didn't put it into the article so I don't get too many um, accounts and I again I was trying to focus on FRK and right. Fela. Right. But according to Fela, the he was not gonna release that guy under any circumstance, even if you brought the air force <laughs> tanks. Because he knew they were gonna kill him, right? They yeah. So he's like, him. he know he knows what's up, right? So he's like, I'm not and you know, in a lot of like just talking about it from a legal perspective, if someone hits anyone, you want that person to be arrested, right? Right. You know, that's the proper, that's the due process. But in a place like Nigeria, where it's those kind of things, it's can military end, rule, yeah, and the murder, and, and no know, questions will be asked, you can right. see, I could actually see where Fala was coming from. I can empathize and see, okay, he was probably protecting this guy on some level. Sure, he was absolutely the protecting this guy. It wasn't no, no, even like absolutely protecting this but guy. But I mean, like, when I say. Because the police would show up, right? It's the police that, that, that is the police job. It is not. Yeah, the military's job and it's not the military's job when they show like 20 plus deep like yeah. we know and they showed they showed so they showed it was first three of them three officers came over 
and I talked to Fela in his living room, <laughs> one on one. That they should, he should, they should let him go. He should let the guy go. That they just want to arrest him. One can say they meant it. In hindsight, we will never know because Fela yeah, right. still. So after beating the Shwiri, hold on. Fela still let, insisted. Let me get to the bottom. So after beating the shit out of him already, yeah, yeah. you not like again. This this rule of law, right? Mm-hmm. It like. So after beating the shit out of him, they came back again, wanting to take him where? So these are Why did they not have a these warrant? Are these are Why did they not have anything else? Like, and these are this this is now. I don't. I'm not going to specifically speak on the battalion that this was, right? But the barracks were not far from where um, no. um where he lived, right? Again, this is I'm pulling this from your article. Yeah. So clearly, they were going to take him back there to beat the shit out of him because that's that their job is not to arrest people. For driving recklessly, even if that's the issue, they were going to take this guy's life into his hands. I just want to be very clear about that because no, no, no. honestly, I mean, don't worry, you don't need to say that because you wrote the article. That's why I said I didn't put Felas. right, and you don't want to say that because you wrote the article and you want to be objective. I respect that. Me, no, no, no. I don't Can have to. Anything, my objectivity comes from um, Felas righteousness. That's literally that would be. The yeah. one thing that you like, can call into question where it's like, okay, did you have to escalate it up to this? Yeah, he was probably super disrespectful. Like, let's mm-hmm. be honest. That's, that's, this, definitely that's what I'm saying. This is very disrespectful. That's, that's literally his personality. So right. what Fela did when the first group of soldiers came is Fela had a barbed wire fence that was electrocuted. Type, because they had come to his house a few times. Right. So he had this... Uh, barbed wire friends tied to an electrical uh a generator that was on a truck so immediately they showed up he turned that on he turned on the generator he was actually a crazy yeah. person like t- not crazy in the but in a derogate reasons i mean we rig bar like he was about it so right. it just sounds like it was proactive on his balcony and started playing zombie <laughs> like with his sacks in his underwear, surrounded by women, a plethora of women. So you can so imagine these army officers just at the bottom, like if we can get this guy, like he's so like you oh, can like, that's what I'm saying. I'm yeah, not even they, trying to they, be they definitely, I mean, I no, just put no, myself in the last shoes. Fact. I can put myself yeah, yeah. in the shoes. That was disrespectful as like, fuck. What this, this disrespectful guy? as fuck. So, no, so that's why they came back. I don't know. I think in your article you said it came like a hundred deep or something. It was a thousand, though. It was definitely not a hundred. For Are you serious? It was a thousand. It was a thousand. One thousand. Wow. And they wow. came on Fela's compound, destroyed the gen, raped a few women. They knocked Fela unconscious. They according a few to women. the a few women, like a few of Fela's um wives. Wow. They did. They broke wow. Becker's a leg they made him they threw walk him out the window right and walk to the barracks and they made him walk to the barracks they threw his mom out one student got stabbed in the eye or something like that mom what uh, one student got stabbed in the eye oh wow um so like so... the atrocities just so literally fella that's what i'm saying he's his craziness is actually different because he just didn't care for his own personal Safety. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm saying, a, a regular person would have said, "Oh, like, let me." Would I'm have been a little bit more, yeah, yeah. I understand. But he actually was all for the people. Like I'm not even trying to. So he, right. 
and he, they knocked him unconscious almost immediately. They broke his jaw. Right. And apparently they bayoneted him or something, right? That was that was the word. One of the soldiers was gonna shoot him. Another soldier had to pull a gun on that soldier so he Just wouldn't does. shoot him. Which speaks more to the military's agenda during man, that time. Honestly, because, these military dudes are wild, man. Like because it's obviously you know, the fact that you could have mobilized a thousand soldiers to to, to, to descend on one person's house in itself shows is wild shows it's the crazy. military is just in a bad place what according i think to mentally Bob, they are said, they are just went on his balcony. Different place. he went on his balcony after the three officers left and a general showed up or someone with a higher ranking i don't know if you remember back in the day in nigeria military vehicles have uh they're tinted and they have the person's rank in the vehicle mm-hmm like they mm-hmm. have to, so right, right. Some, one of those guys showed up. <coughs> wasn't was Danjuma, or was just Danjuma? No, no. So the, this, the name of this person isn't given in Fela's biography, okay. but Fela says he saw him from the balcony, and he sees this person just driving around his compound, sizing it up, and he assumes because he's a senior-ranking officer, this person was here to de-escalate the situation. However, he was actually there to take command of destroying fellas. This was an attack. Yeah, he was he was doing recon on destroying the whole compound. So wow. when they did all of that, out, like they destroyed the generator, burnt all of fellas' cars, burnt the house and closed it, even beat up neighbors and arrested neighbors. They made some of the women walk naked to the barracks. It was just a is stain on Nigeria's military record by any one of many stains. One of many stains. Um, so, with regards to FRK, mm-hmm. from what I understand, that fall, she she just never reconciled that that sort of thing could happen. You know what I mean? She's just like, in her mind, she's like, "How could they do this to us?" Like, you right. know. So she, in a way, you could see. At least according to Fela, Fela is like... Well, it's a country she fought for, right? Yeah, like, country that's she point. fought like, so it's, hard for. It's, it's just like... It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Huh? It doesn't make sense. And it's like, that's why, you know, she's more... um, Or, or what she stood for is still crazy because there was right. just nothing in return. Like, even at right. the end, there was right. no even more... Even at the end. The recognition, mm-hmm. some assholes just came and threw out a window and they now said it was an unknown soldier. Like this, right. they didn't even name the person. Right. They said they the person was the person. acting. Let's, let's be very yeah, clear. Says, like, like, obviously, I'm not, not mincing words today. And they weren't going to hang anyone for anything that happened on that day because, because they, it was they literally burnt. They, yeah, it was, it was sanctioned. That's the word. Sanctioned. A thousand soldiers. You can't get yeah, a thousand soldiers for anything in Nigeria. That's, That's the thing, right? You, you know, and as as you know, as we moving to Sulay, yeah, as you know, of, as you know, we we when we dig through the military history, we we can see that um, a lot of things are not named when it's uh, you know, yeah. especially when it's sanctioned. It's Very quietly sad. sanctioned, like the Nigerian military has this trend of quietly sanctioning things, yeah. and nobody knows who was responsible, but we suspect who's responsible, but we can't point the finger to them because, you know. There is no evidence. There's no smoking gun, right? Um, yeah. It's her interesting. Death, her it's death is definitely tragic. Like she died up to almost a year after that. But really? it was so just, she was in pain. Before yeah, she that was in then. pain, limping. 
Right. The wound never really healed. Um, according to Fela, she was already mentally gone a few months before she actually passed. Um, wow. So those, for me, those kind of, uh, I guess, excerpts from her life are the more reason why, you know, the good parts should be highlighted. Right. Her death is a shame. We as Nigerians should feel ashamed that we literally just, it'll be like an American and Martin Luther King, right? Right. Like, that you guys allowed that happen. Yeah. Or, or Rosa Parks. Yeah, or, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the people who... You should still who, be... Right. You should still... There's some level of responsibility right. on right. everyone when that kind of person is assassinated. Right. And and like you said, um, you know, your goal in writing this article is to celebrate FRK and generate further interest in her life beyond her driving a car. Because that's all I ever heard about her when she... When I was growing up was... It's true. Was the first person to drive a car. This is just so irrelevant. Like I'm not saying it's not it. it, Like when you think of her character, it lines up perfectly. Obviously, yeah. It's just like and it it probably wasn't a big deal to her. It was just wasn't a big deal to do to get done. She probably was just trying to organize her women's union. Yeah, and just was was so more more focused on that. Maybe mm -hmm. she could carry some women on the way. I feel like she was just more focused on bigger things, and that just was a tool. And it's like that. it and kind of highlights the sexism mm-hmm. in narratives. I think I think like it's also if, I think if, it's also highlights um what we 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 choose to prioritize, right? Is the thing again, like you know, and then you know, like, if I have to hear me out, hear me out. Like 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 because it, it ends up being like, you know, a lot of times it just ends up being with your status, with your money, with the thing you're able to buy. It it, it it's it's material. You know, that's what I'm saying. So it's it's like the people who, like, it, it also reflects an aspect of a lot of people's value system is what I'm trying to say. You know, that's what I'm saying. There's no way you know she had that car and didn't know she did all these other things. That's, but, that's I guess that's for me what it is, is I feel is some, on some level intentional, just right. as far as what she would represent for Nigerians. Like, you know what I mean? If right. everybody idolized, like, just like Che Guevara, Martin Luther King, if everyone understands what FRK did, right? I, I I do think you know it's just she's one of those characters that she's been marginalized in our history, like sidelined. Like I think it's just like what happened to her in real life, as far right. as you know, all her all the elections she ran for and right. all the divisions that. <clears throat> Uh, those are highlighted but as far as her uh, place in history driving a car just doesn't cut it bro like and I'd say that compared to any dude like there's just no dude in Nigerian history where we even know what brand of car he drove talkless of that he drove a car it's just irrelevant this is true this is true it's you just know that Akintola tried to buy a Rolls Royce. Exactly. So if, <laughs> if that would have even been better context for me if I right. if I heard FRK was the first woman to. We don't even know what the car was. SUV or something. Do you or know what the car was? By the way? Do you, do you I, even know what the car no, was? Obviously, she wasn't a like I said, she wasn't a material person. She wasn't yeah. a flex type person. So right. <clears throat> I don't I imagine it was something modest. I know her right. car actually. Or, 
Mm-hmm. Someone bought the car for her, like got it used from the UK, and it gave right. her a lot of problems. Right. So uh, she right. had a falling out with that person as well. Right. But <clears throat> uh, but it's not the point. No, it's, it's not absolutely the point. not the point. It's, it's just it just has nothing to do with like it'll be like them saying she also drank tea. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just a yeah. lifestyle thing. Right. It has nothing to do with her actual legacy. Um, okay, so before I let you go, um, one of the things you said you wanted to do on this article as well was when to challenge the status quo. Um, um, can you elaborate on what you meant by that? You had some examples in your article yeah. about women in leadership and political roles in Nigeria in comparison to um, our counterparts in Africa and I think around the world. So maybe just break down um, your your feelings or what you observed when you reflected on that. So again, it's just more based on FRK's uh, perception, especially, you know, <clears throat> during independence or just after independence where she said that, um, she says, in 1961, she said, now the orders, the old orders have changed. Our women have been rapidly taking their proper places in the future of Nigeria. Our men are now learning that their women are no longer their slaves, but their immediate associates. Our women, are, our women try to pull their weights with men in all spheres of Nigerian life. It has become our adage now that in some spheres of life, women can do what men can do. We have now we have now women doctors, police, athletes, lawyers, artisans, teachers, and scientists. And many women are kept at key posts in many governments as well as in commercial offices. So I just wanted to, you know, <clears throat> um, highlight that that perception was actually wrong as far as um, the representation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean obviously. Today. Like uh, so, when you fast forward to well, yeah, I would, I would, I want to push back on wrong. I wouldn't agree that it was wrong. I mean, obviously, I know what you mean, but I mm-hmm. think it was. She was trying to be optimistic. Yeah, um, I think she about- she felt like there was progress, and she expected more progress to happen. Um, and I think when you go out there and you fight for the things that you fight for, especially when someone like her shows up in that capacity, um, I think a huge part of that is really her. Um, you you expect things to get better. You're working for things to get better. So I think that's what she had in her head. Um, I mean, little did she know um, the kind of things that would happen in Nigeria after the fact. Um, so, 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 yeah, so you were going to, you were going to kind of point some things out. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. She was being uh, very optimistic and it was a good time in Nigeria, if you think about it. Like, we just comparatively, <laughs> comparatively, that they, she was part of the people who fought for that. And to see it actually becomes achieved in your lifetime, that must have felt pretty um, Good. awesome. Right. Um, <clears throat> but when I say push back on that perception, I don't mean to say it's wrong. That was a, I misspoke. She was, her perceptions were probably uh, astute for that time. I was just contrasting it with Nigeria in 2021. Right. Things um, definitely changed. Yeah. And not just changed, but degenerated 
as far as this position of women. And that's why I say I highlight the spirit of African woman uh, motherhood. Mm. It's in particular because Africa is such an interesting place where, you know, the women make up such a large part of your growing up. Mm-hmm. And in Nigeria in particular, infant mortality is such a huge thing where technically every Nigerian who survives is kind of a miracle because your your chances of just dying during childbirth are that much higher just if you are in Nigeria. Huh. And that speaks to our... Uh, concern for women's issues or lack or lack thereof in the sense where if women are dying just giving birth a very trivial thing in this part of the world it's obviously not trivial like giving birth childbirth is obviously um not a trivial thing however in this part of the world they figured it out right where they prioritized it they prioritized it where women's and even maternity leave, like you have to imagine in Nigeria, the maternity leave is two months. Like just trying to imagine the room where that decision was made. And can you imagine any woman saying, oh, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Right. <clears throat> it just, you know, it doesn't f- follow. So for me, it's like, obviously Nigerians are doing, Nigerian women are doing great things. Like no doubt in entertainment, in economics, in science, in all aspects of life, right? Like, especially even in the diaspora. But as far as our representation in Nigeria and as far as their... In government. In government and their issues being addressed collectively, there's just none of that. Absolutely. At least in my opinion. So I mean, I think I think it's you sure it's our opinion, but we know that there's facts to support this. Yeah, there's facts and to support it. Some, so of the, yes. some of the facts you've presented here, right? Like you talk about so um Lola has this uh, table that's the percentage of women in national parliaments in sub-Saharan Africa. And this is taken from 20 is this 2018, 2021? I can't really 2020. tell. 2021, 2020. And um basically Number one rank, Rwanda, 61.25% of women are in lower or single house, and 38.46% of women are in the Senate, right? After that is Namibia at 46% in the lower or single house and 23% in the Senate. Let's jump down to Tunisia. No, let's jump down to Zimbabwe. 31.85% of women in the lower or single house and 43.15% of women in the upper Senate. Now, Rwanda is at number one. Zimbabwe is at number 41. Guys, Nigeria is number 181 with 6.5% of women in the lower or single house and 6.1% in the upper Senate. There's absolutely something wrong here. Like this is, it's so far below because Right above us is Angola, 48, which is ranked 48. And they have 30% of women in their lower single house. So now to make matters worse, we look at our own stats just personally here, Um, you know, over the years from election year of 1999 to 2019. So roughly 20 years. 
And um, in 1999, you know, when we became a democratic government again, um, percentage at this time of women was 2.8%. Um, over 20 years, that's only increased to 6.5%. And then that's in the Senate. In the House of Representatives, it was 3.6% in 1999. That number has reduced to 2.7% in 2019. Now, in fairness, um, it continued to increase up to 2015, but by 2019, there was a significant drop. Um, so I think just with that information, and again, this is all in the article, if you want to see this for yourself, um, I think it tells a story that, you know, um, it's definitely not progressed. In some cases, it's deteriorated. And um, it, it's hard to say that this is just by chance and not... Um, somewhere intentional or institutional would you agree um yeah 100 um at the same time that might be layered because we're more religious than those other countries and you know <clears throat> christianity is probably has some responsibility as far as the sexism that's institutionalized what about islam? combined with and islam as well and then you combine I'm not it trying to point that anything, guys. Yeah, I'm just asking. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not pointing fingers. <laughs> I'm just saying, and then you um, combine that with the traditional sexism inherent in, like you know, just tribes. No, no tribes. Like you know, even Yoruba sexism, Igbo sexism. Well, that's what it. What well, according to FRK, you know, <laughs> it it was colonial, right? That's what she's saying. Colonial. She's saying so she, she makes said, the argument. She said, she said it had deteriorated in the sense that. Um, no, so there, there's always been sexism. It's just more the colonialism kind of institutionalized it when you when you remove women from positions of power. So, right. but I just mean if you now add that to typical Yoruba sexism, it just amplifies it. Right. Because you give the women less rights and you give the men more. So it's going to yeah. amplify whatever prejudices they already have, right? Right. Right. Well, yeah. Um, well, I think that's pretty much it, man. Thank you for taking the time with me today and talk about Fumilaya Ransomakuti. Um, I know it's weird that two guys are talking about it, but, you know, maybe that's what more guys need to do. I don't know. Um, maybe it's something we need to pay attention to. Um, and maybe it's something we need to keep at the back of our mind uh, when we talk about women and supporting women and trying to understand um, the issues that women deal with. Um, we will never have the visibility that we need or that we that they may need from us. But I think um, looking back and seeing what some, you know, powerful, inspirational women have done, um, they're able to do all these things, raise a loving family, and really have an impact in society. Um, I think we should all think about that ourselves in terms of how we think of women and think about the women that, we want to be with or respect and understand that, you know, that duality, you know, if that even can exist, you know, and has no threats to your masculinity, if you still feel that way. Um, do you have any final words um, just in terms of how you want to leave um, our listeners, um, be it men or women or everything in between? Um, <clears throat> we're both engineers, so we got to follow the data. And the data just suggests that with more women in positions of power, 
the entire society does better. You can look at Rwanda. You can look at Canada. You can look <clears throat> anywhere you want to look. Like I said, the data suggests that if women are in positions of power, it's better for everyone. So it's not really... You just have to... Again, I don't know if Nigeria or Nigerians are in a place to think collectively. If I'm being honest, I think that's one of our biggest challenges. But it's one thing to at least recognize that this is an issue and it's affecting everyone. Like, it's affecting everyone. Just because you're alive doesn't mean like that that's mostly based on the statistics about what part of nigeria you were born in like if you were born just somewhere else you most likely not live so you know until we take these issues more seriously they're definitely not when nigeria is worse like infant mortality in nigeria is worse than india that's that's great <laughs> like, damn and we got a billion people, guys. They have literally a billion people. Wow. How could more children survive childbirth there? Like, I'm not saying they're not doing like, it. By sheer numbers, this I should, just mean this by, should, this should, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, they should be like 10 so, times over 10. It should be 10 times worse. So right. that's not the case. It's obviously not a priority. And right. that's just the issue. It's just making, because obviously, if you ask a bunch of women, do you think, It'll be a priority for them, and they are voters, they're taxpayers. So, why not have something in return for <clears throat> the taxation? Some representation, you know? Yeah, man. Um, hola, thank you so much for taking the time. Always a pleasure, as always. Always a pleasure, as always. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, this has been fun. Um, I think I learned some more. Thanks for taking the time to work on this i'm looking forward to uh the next piece that you have on uh you know sabinage.com you know until then that'll maybe be, uh, the that'll next, be when that'll be up in the next few really before this pe- podcast is actually up <laughs> who knows uh, this might be out sooner than you think all right um, <laughs> i'll take you up on that <laughs> but, but feel um, free you to know, check out to everyone listening feel free to check out you know sabinage for uh more compelling content and yep. you know, if you're feeling generous, hit the donate button. It's a nonprofit. We're only doing this, so there's actually a free online resource for Nigerian historical topics and characters. So we appreciate all your support. Like and share on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that, everywhere. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go check out um, the episodes we worked on on Coop Conversations, um, and that was just the prologue. Um, um, the next few episodes um, or the next episodes uh, might come sooner than you think and that's the episode y'all great conversation with the Yolala as always and forgive me guys I was a little too excited to talk about the episode so I kept interjecting my bad y'all I'm working on it My main take on this episode and the piece is that FRK was an inspiration to many Nigerians, not just women. At a time when most of our founding fathers were establishing themselves, FRK was doing the same thing, not just for our people in Abiyokuta, but for Nigerians across the country, through the NCNC and other parties. 
Her courage and integrity made her a champion for freedom fighters and activists all over the world. In addition to this, her children became renowned for the same sort of activism, one of which blessed us with Afrobeats and the power of conscious music or conscious African music in Felakuti. Her legend continues to live on. Do us a favor and share this story with someone today. And if you have any ideas on doing that, you can write to me at 2 pod at gmail.com. It might be easier to follow me at 2 pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can just leave me a DM there. I'm looking forward to hearing what your take is on this topic. Don't forget to support the show so you keep getting quality conversations like this. Give me 5 stars across the board and leave a like on your streaming platform of choice. And of course, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been Two Takes on the Pod. Thank you so much for listening. Where we